Amen. Please be seated. And I want to say good morning to everybody. I forgot to say that, didn't I? Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right, good. And I want to say good morning to everybody online. We did our first service this morning, and we have more people online than we had here in the sanctuary. So we had, and it was 50-50. We had 50% online and 50% here. So that was great to see. So we know people are out joining us online this weekend with everything going on. And so I decided to change the message this weekend um, because of basically the microscopic elephant in the room, uh, so to speak. And uh, we hope it's not in the room, but we don't don't know. Um, And the other thing is, is I think this is the introvert's dream right now. I mean, like the introverts are like, yes, this is awesome. You know, they're loving life right now. So introverts, shout out to the introverts this morning. But I thought about this and I decided to change. I was actually praying about it. I had a whole nother message in our series on resurrection and we'll pick up on that um, next week, uh, hopefully. And uh, I, I just started praying about it and thinking about it. I was like, no, I think, I think we need to change it up a little bit. And, and the reason I, just, I, I did that is just after praying about it, I just felt like we needed to change, I needed to change a message. And so what you're getting today is something I call a Saturday night special. That's where preachers put their sermons together on Saturday night, and they're not the most polished sermons you'll ever hear. I, I like to start my sermons on Monday, working on them, and I go all week, but this, this one, this is a Saturday night special, so welcome uh, to that. So I've been thinking about a lot of what's going on, and I read reports now every day about the coronavirus, COVID-19. I read CDC reports. I, I read King County Health Department reports, advisories. I'm tracking all that. I'm reading articles. And Seattle's been called the national epicenter of the coronavirus. How do you like that for a title? Uh, And we live here in Seattle. And I have other people in other parts of the country that are like checking on us and, you know, like, how's it going there? But we're also starting to see it emerge in other parts of our country. It's not just here anymore. And I think it's something we're going to have to continue to, to face in the, not just the weeks, but months and years to come until we can get to a better modern science and modern medicine catches up with it. Um, So it's going to be a while. Uh, The other thing is I've noticed that people are changing their behaviors, and we, some of that is precautionary and good, but I'm also wrestling with how much do we change our behavior. I don't know if you wrestle with that as well. Like how far do I go? How do I go out? Do I not go out? Do I go to church? Do we have church? Do we not have church? Do I go to work? Do I not go to work? You know, and so all these things, and there's a lot of ambiguity, a lot of like unclear, lack of clarity and those things. The other thing is that I've also noticed that fear is taking over, right? Do you know, here's the thing, social scientists have already taught us, fear is contagious. In fact, I've seen more people catch fear than the virus. So keep that in mind as we're talking about it. So the conta- fear is a contagion. Social scientists have already shown that you and I catch fear from each other, stress from each other. And so when we're with someone who's stressed out or fearful, we actually catch some of that from them, and it might actually create more anxiety and fear within us as well. And so we know that there's probably more fear that's been caught right now than the coronavirus. And, I, and my wife actually saw that the other day. She, went to, she said she went to Michael's and she was in line and somebody coughed. And everybody like did one of these, like in Michael's, like to look around to see who was coughing, which is not normal behavior. But that tells us that we've caught the fear, right? We've caught this 
And we're now all doing that. And if you're coughing here this morning, it's okay. Uh, you have to clear your throat, you know, if I declare. But I, it's, it's not that the, the virus is going abroad, but we have to just keep in mind, like, we have to balance this fear out. Because the other thing about fear is that it brings out the worst in us sometimes. And my concern is that some of the fear responses that we're seeing in our community right now. One fear response is hoarding, right? We have people that are going and hoarding uh, resources and, and going and consuming resources and hoarding them and, not, and then other people won't have them. And so this hoarding mentality has taken over. Uh, CDC has asked people not to buy masks. The CDC is actually asking to allow those masks to be used by our medical professionals that will need them as they treat people in the hospitals. And we actually want our medical staff and our uh, to stay healthy, right, in this situation, in this health crisis. So they've asked us to stop buying masks, and yet we see that people are still going and buying stuff up, even though they're being asked not to. Again, you know, because my wife has a life, uh, she was in Bartels this past week as well to go just buy Advil. Uh, and uh, they were selling, they brought in two boxes, uh, two cases of masks in the Bartel drugstore, and the Bartels decided to sell one box per customer out of those cases. And a, a man came in and berated the woman behind the cash register because uh, they, would, they could only get one box. And they were demanding their rights as a customer to be able to buy as many boxes as they wanted to and, and, and get as many masks as they could. And so they, this, this woman felt awful being basically yelled at because she could only sell them this customer one box. And he, of course, insisted he buy two because his wife was in the store with him. And so he got two anyway, you know. But that's, what's that? That's a fear response. That's a response to fear. This hoarding is a fear response. I'm also sad to say that the other fear response that we're seeing in our community is xenophobia, which is prejudice against someone from another country or another ethnicity. And uh, this is something that we're actually been seeing in Seattle. We have a, a, a very strong Asian population in Seattle. And I read uh, that a woman who went to China to bury her father came back to Seattle. She came back to her condo complex and the building manager met, met her and asked her to move out and asked her to not, and she said, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the coronavirus. I wasn't in this province and tried to explain it, but he insisted that she move out and she refused because it was her condo and where she lived. And so then the building manager put up signs around the condo complex warning the other residents of a possible virus infection from her and asking people to wear gloves and masks in the condo complex around her uh, condo and around her where she lived. So that's xenophobia. That's where fear brings out a response in us where we begin to see or stigmatize other people in our community, right? Based not out of, ra it's not rational, right? And that's the thing about fear is we lose some of our rational thought. And then the other thing that I think at least I'm experiencing, maybe you're experiencing it, is I'm just a little obsessive, right? I'm a little bit hypervigilant right now. Are you a little hypervigilant right now? Like, take an extra precaution because we're hearing all these things and, you know, I'm washing my hands more. I'm saying, and I think we should be doing that. Don't hear me say don't, we're not to do that. But I feel like I'm almost kind of like every day I'm checking CDC, I'm checking uh, websites, I'm reading articles, I'm hearing about us being, you know, not only the national epicenter, but the ghost town of Seattle. And I'm reading all these different articles and different perspectives and everything that's going on in our community. And I've kind of like found myself kind of getting a little like, 
you know, stressed out about it, right? Do you, is anybody else doing this? Is, am I the only one doing all this, like, searching and whether the school's going to close? Well, if you're not, great. That's awesome. <laughs> Welcome to my world. All right. But I thought about this, how fear kind of makes us obsess, right? Or maybe think about a time when you were afraid and you just can't get it out. Have you ever been afraid and you just can't get it out of your mind, right? And so I thought we'd do an exercise this morning. I've done this with our staff about some other things, but I want us to do an exercise this morning to kind of help us get out of that uh, kind of mindset. And so I brought the whiteboard in this morning. Woo, that thing has got a mind of its own. All right. So can you all, are we on live stream with this? Just checking. All right, good. I've been told to use dark markers so people online can see it. So I want to ask this question, and that's the question right now is, what can't we control right now? Answer that question. So what's out of our control? What, what can we not control right now? Jackson. Fear. Fear. All right. What else can't we control? Other people's thoughts. Other people's thoughts, right. What else? Or is, is out of our control? What? The economy. The economy, yeah. We... we yeah, don't watch the stock market. All right. But that may not be a problem for you if you don't have any investment. So, yeah, what else? Media hype. Media, right, the media. We, we can't control what the media is, is saying and doing, right? Do you know, I don't know if I uh, meant to mention, again, it's Saturday Night Special, um, but when they did a study of the New York Times and they found that articles that incited anger or anxiety were the most read articles in the New York Times. So we naturally are drawn to want to read stuff that is causing us to be either angry or anxious. And we do that, and guess who benefits? The media, the media right. And they actually, uh, this is, a, this is actually uh, gets us, keeps us reading, and this is part of that. And I'm not saying they're using or abusing this crisis to do that, but I think we just need to keep uh, this in context that we're actually drawn to that stuff, uh, and that's part of our obsessing, right? And also to be realized that actually the media, it, it benefits them uh, as well. But what else can we not control? I saw another hand, uh, Lily. Other people's actions, right. Okay, what else? Eric. Right, lack of knowledge. What else? And I'm writing real fast so you can't read any of this, I know. So. Uh, my parents' health or another loved one. Right. Loved one's health. I know we think about that as well. You know, we're concerned for those in our families that are susceptible to this, right? Yeah. Thanks for bringing humor back into the conversation, right? Anything else? It doesn't have to be coronavirus related. It could be hair loss, right? What else? What else? Anything else out of our control? The president. The president. <laughs> All right. Again, this is any, anything goes, right? Uh, what? I heard somebody else say something. Nature. Did you say nature? Okay, nature. Right. All right. All right. 
so now the next question, if you've ever done this before, is what can we control? What can we control? Our own thoughts. Yeah, our thoughts. What else? Our actions. Our actions, right. What else? Our, our, our consumption, right, of stuff, right? Our consumption, that's short for consumption, of media. Thought I saw another, yeah. Where I turn for peace. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll just say where I get peace, right? I, I like to say some, my old phrase is, Go in peace, not to pieces. It sticks with me, right? I saw, anybody else got one? Yeah, Caleb. Yeah, what I surround myself with, right? What, my environment. All right, anybody else had one? Yeah, Judy. Judy. Right, our trust. That's data for God. Our hygiene. our hygiene, right. We, we can take care of our own uh, hygiene and be, uh, take care of that and pre- take precautions. And, and, w- and that's not what this sermon is about, is to not say don't take precautions. We do want to be wise. We want to take precautions. We want to continue to slow the spread as much as we can uh, of the virus in our community and protect those in our community. Anything else? How I reach out to other people. Support others, Right. And then I saw. Um, our own fear and how we knowledge. Yeah, our fear and knowledge, right? How we share our fear and knowledge with others, right? Because we know that can stress other people out, right? So I want to just pause there. So everybody, take a deep breath. By the way, just take. That's a great way to respond to fear. By the way, is take a deep breath. Take another deep breath. Just let it, just let it go, right? Take a moment, right? Because we find that if we can lower our heart rate, I learned this at Screenagers, if we lower our heart rate below 100, we're better able to respond to this environment around us. When we start to elevate our heart rate, when fear takes over, when things start kicking, we actually start to not use our rational mind anymore. And so we want to take deep breaths when we need to and think about what's our response. We have no control here but we do have control here. And fear is often based in what we feel we can't control, right? On, what, on the unknown, fear of the unknown, fear of what we can't control. So thanks for doing that with me. Does that help a little bit maybe? Yeah, all right, good. So I wanna to talk to you now, because that's what we're shifting to. What's our response, right? What's our response when we are doing this and thinking about this? So I love this psalm. I'm going to share a psalm with you this morning. Psalm 112 says this, and uh, I think we have it up on the screen so you can follow along, or if you want to pull out a Bible, um, we're going to Psalm 112, middle of the Bible, verse 1 through 10. It says, praise the Lord. Those who honor the Lord, who adore God's commandments, are truly happy. Their descendants will be strong throughout the land. The offspring of those who do right will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in their houses. Their righteousness stands forever. They shine in the dark for others who do right. They are merciful 
compassionate, and righteous. Those who lend generously are good people, as are those who conduct their affairs with justice. Yes, these sorts of people will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. They won't be frightened at bad news. Their hearts are steady, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are firm. They aren't afraid. In the end, they will witness their enemies' defeat. They give freely to those in need. Their righteousness stands forever. Their strength increases gloriously. The wicked see all this and fume. They grind their teeth but disappear to nothing. What, what the wicked want to see happen comes to nothing. I love that verse there, verse 6 and 7, talking about how these types of people who are generous and compassionate and just will not be shaken. And I love it where the psalmist says, when bad news comes, their hearts are steady, trusting in the Lord. And so I was thinking about this, how do we get steady hearts and trust the Lord? I'm sorry, I can't see people over there by that. So how do we get steady hearts that are trusting in the Lord? And that's where we go to the other side of the list and say, what's our response? How are we responding, not in fear, but what does it look like to respond with faith and trust in the Lord and with a steady heart, right, that God can provide for us? Where do we find that peace, uh, as we heard mentioned as well? I think one of the places we find that steady heart, that peace of the Lord, is from knowing that God is with us. God's presence is so important to remind ourselves that God has not abandoned us, that God has not forgotten us, that God is right there with us, whether we're, we're healthy or ill, God is with us. Whether we're, we're sick or not sick, God is with us. Whether we're, whatever we're facing in our lives, God is with us and continues to walk with us. And I think sometimes we forget God's presence. And when we forget God's presence, that's when we fear. You know, I took a, was able to take a trip to Costa Rica many years ago with a team, and we went into the uh, uh, northern part of Costa Rica. We were in the jungles near the Nicaraguan border, working with a, uh, a, on an Indian reservation called the Tonhibe tribe, and we were offering medical care, and we were rebuilding a church, and we were also doing BBS for the kids while we were there. And when we got there, they, we, we had to actually construct our own outhouse when we got there. That's how primitive things were where we were. We did that. It was our first, when we got there and there's no bathroom, you know what Americans do? They build a bathroom. That's what we do. And so we, we did that. And then we slept in the church. This church building was kind of just a shell of a building and we were there to help repair it and fix it up and as well. And so some of us were on that team. And, and so we slept in the church every night. We learned that as we were sleeping there in the church that, um, that previously, but Month, we don't know how long it was, months before we got there, that someone from their village, someone in the town, came and hung themselves from the rafters of that church. And so they, all the, the church was no longer functioning. People had left. People would not come to the church because there was now this stigma on the church because of this death. And uh, so everybody was avoiding the church. No one was coming to the church. And they tell us the story about three days us, of us living in the church. And uh, so we would lay there at night and we would look up at the rafters, right? And we would think about that story. And we spent all week there. We were tired. We were, we were uh, tired and hadn't had showers and we're ready to get on the bus to go home. And 
and it's hot, humid, and we're sitting on the bus, and we're packing up, and we're waiting, and I can remember, like, I just, just want to get home. I just want the bus to start moving so the breeze comes through the windows, and, and we're waiting, and then this gentleman from the, from the town, the village, gets on our bus, and he's, he's weeping, and he, through a translator, speaks to us, and he says, he says, thank you, thank you. He just kept saying, thank you. You don't understand what you've done. You don't understand how you have changed our community. And we're like, well, we, just, we just built, we just did construction. We didn't feel like it was a big deal. But he said, people are coming back to our church now because they saw you in the church. <laughs> you took away the stigma of the place when you came in there. So our simple presence, <laughs> right? Nothing miraculous, nothing heroic, but just being present in that place encouraged people and brought peace back to their church, brought peace back to their community because we were willing to be present. And that took away the stigma. God's presence is so important. And I think also when we're present to one another in community, especially when people are ill or sick, that can also lift that stigma, right, from them. And we also are called to be God's hands and feet in a safe way, obviously with precautions, to those who are in need, right? That's part of that. So part of it is God's presence brings us peace. I think the other thing that we do as people of faith is that when we fear, we take our fears and we pray about them. We actually take them to God and we give them back to God. We give our fears to God. We give our anxieties to God. It says that we're to cast all our cares upon the Lord. We know that we're to pray and give thanks in all circumstances, it says in the New Testament. And so when we pray, what we're doing is we're taking these fears, we're taking these anxieties, and we're giving them to God, and we're releasing them to God. And when we do that, God says the peace which passes all understanding will guard our hearts will guard our hearts. So when we pray, we're actually receiving God's peace. So not only do we remember God's presence, but we receive God's peace when we pray. And I think about this because we need that, right? Because that will change our response to the situation we're in so that it won't be a fear-based response, but it'll be a wise response, a faithful response, a, a response of peace and wanting to bring peace to others as we've already put on our list this morning. And here's the thing, God does want us to respond <laughs> in a positive, healthy way. You know, in, uh, this is not the first time the church has faced a plague. In fact, before modern medicine, this was norm. This was the norm, right? This is the first time we're actually having to face something that uh, people faced uh, many years, I mean, year after year, decade after decade. In Rome in 251 A.D., you all remember that year? Was that a good year? It wasn't a good year in the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, a plague broke out, and what was happening was the people in Rome were fleeing the cities and then moving out of the cities because of this plague. They were trying to get away from it, and they were running out of the city. There was a group of people, though, that did not run out of the city. There was a group of people that went into the city to care for the sick and dying during the plague. And those people who went in to care for the sick and dying in the cities of Rome also died as a result of that. Not all of them. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. But they went in. They went in to care for others. And I think about that. What, what, was, who, what did they call that group of people in Rome? 
I'll tell you what they call them, Christians. They were called Christians. It was the Christian people that rushed in to help people in the midst of the plague. Uh, it, later in church history, uh, here in our own, uh, in the forming of our nation, in 1798, yellow fever broke out in the United States. Again, before modern medicine. And there was a group of people in Philadelphia led by a pastor named Richard Allen. Richard Allen was an African-American pastor in Philadelphia. Remember the environment of 1798. African-Americans, this is talk, we're talking about a segregated society. We're talking about a people, a, a group that was stigmatized. And one of the things that they were told, the African-American community was told, and it was a lie, was that they couldn't catch the yellow fever. And so the African-American church then began to care for the, the, the white church in, in Philadelphia around the yellow fever. And some of them risked their lives as well. Uh, in that epidemic that happened in our, in our country. But here's the thing. Richard Allen and his congregation went and ministered to people who were racist against them, who, who had previously shown hate and prejudice and stigma against them. They said, we're not going to let that stop us from being a Christian, <laughs> from responding in a way that God would have us respond to the people around us. And again, that's the thing. Now, I think about this and I think, What's the reason that people of faith would run in to the crisis rather than run away? I think it's because people of faith have this belief and this hope that this life is not the end. See, if, if this life is all I have, if this life is all we encounter, and there, if there is no God, and this is the whole thing, this is everything we're going to get from this life, then yeah, I, I'd probably panic more. Because this is it. It's all I got. But we are people of faith. We are people of resurrection. And I believe the Christians in 251 AD and the Christians in 1798 knew that this was not the end of life, that they looked forward to an eternal life with God, and it's that hope and that faith that spurred them on to risk their own lives because they had this faith, right? And I think we need to be remembering that, that we have this faith. And the other thing I just want to wrap up with is, and remind us of, it's not really a faith-based thing, but it's just a rational thing, right, for me. I'm a logical person, which my wife drives her crazy sometimes, I know. But I think about this logic, right? So I wanted to just take a moment and just kind of also put things in perspective, right? Because I think it's the fear of the unknown. And sometimes in our fear, we lose perspective on where we're at or what's happening. So keep in mind, uh, how many people live in King County? Does anybody know? If you, were, if you were here the first sermon, you can't answer. But anybody know? How many people you think live in King County? Well, let me ask that question. What? A million? Eight million? Five and a half? All right. There's actually just over 2.2 million people in King County. So when you hear a statistic about King County, remember there are 2.2 million people that make up that county, right? So when you hear reports of cases, just keep, that just gives us perspective, right? So if you think there's like, if there's like 1,000 people in King County and 100 people have the coronavirus, that, that's, a, that's a different perspective, right? So just keep that in mind. Here's some other things to keep in mind, because one of the things we're having to face during this time 
is our own mortality, right? Our own mortality. So here's some things, thanks to the insurance industry we have. I wanted to just give you some other probabilities, right? Because this is what we're, we're, we're anxious about and everything. But let's look at some other things that could happen to us. And I know this is kind of morbid, um, but I'm trying to give perspective, right? And these are things that you're doing, right? You may be doing, right, already. Like, how many people got in a car and drove to church this morning? I know some of you walked, but you got in a car and drove to church. Your chances of dying in an auto accident were 1 in 77, or 1 in 77. So a little perspective there. Uh, The other thing is, uh, if now hopefully nobody's doing alcohol and drugs, but if you are, you have a 1 in 34 chance of dying. Uh, here's another one. Uh, we actually just had a, one of our folks uh, f- take a big fall and, uh, and had some breaks. Uh, one in 83 people die from a fall, just going up and down stairs or falling out in public somewhere or at home. Poison, if you could die of poisoning, one in 53 chance of that happening. Uh, fire, one in 821. Firearm-related uh, death, one in 77. But note this, one in four people will die of heart disease. We don't seem to be too panicked about that one, right? Even though the chances of us actually dying of heart disease are much, much greater than anything else on that list or, the, or us getting the coronavirus. So why do I say that? I'm not saying don't be wise, don't take precautions. I'm just saying let's put things in perspective. Just remind ourselves of perspective, right? And speaking of perspective, let me ask this last question. This is a perspective question. Is our faith bigger than our fear? Is our faith bigger than our fear? Because if you read the Bible very much, it constantly is telling us not to be afraid. Not to be afraid. I love the story, if you've never heard it, about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. There was a king, and he was demanding that everybody in the land bow down to this golden idol that he had created. I believe it was of himself, or represented himself. And people were being asked to bow down, and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego would not bow down to this idol. And so the king threatened that anybody who wouldn't bow down to this idol would be thrown into a fiery furnace. They would be burned to death, basically. And so they confronted Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and brought them to the furnace and said, will you bow down to this idol? And they refused. And when they refused to bow down to the idol, they said to the king, they said, we believe that God will save us. And then they said this powerful phrase. And then they said, but if not, but if not, we still will not bow. They were saying, whether God saves us or not, we will not stop trusting God and bow to your idol out of fear. What they were saying is that they were not going to let fear rule their lives. And their faith in God was going to stay intact no matter what happened to them. That's faith. That's what faith looks like in the face of fear. You know, we stood here just a few weeks ago 
and on Ash Wednesday, and people came forward and ashes were placed on their head. And we stood right down here and marked ashes. And we said to people this phrase, you are of the dust and to the dust you shall return. You are of the dust and to the dust you shall return. It's a statement of mortality. It's a statement of humility. But it's also a statement of faith. Saying, God, my life is in your hands, not mine. <laughs> totally. That my mortal life is in your hands, God. My days are in your hands. And that is faith. Let's pray together.